morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you are today. I'm Ali Omagasu, and you're listening to Cloud Unfiltered. We have had guests from, we've had a lot of guests from outside Cisco for a while, had some terrific analysts and thought leadership folks from around the industry. Today, we're coming back to Cisco with um, Carlos Campos Torres. He's a worldwide data center switching technical lead, which may not at first glance seem perfectly cloud aligned, uh, but it is. This guy is passionate about cloud. He's got a lot to say about it. He's already said some interesting things in Cisco blogs and through some videos he's created. So we wanted to talk to him today and uh, see what he's thinking about where things are going with cloud, both inside and outside of Cisco. So welcome, Carlos. Thank you, Ali. Happy to be here. Thanks for being on the show. And hello, Pete. How are you doing? You're in a different room. Where are you? I am. I decided to move it upstairs to my office. Where previously, I was kind of going downstairs in my, um, well, I called it my underground nerd layer, but it was really just my basement. <laughs> um, but, you know, New Year post GSX. I survived five days in Vegas last week. I decided to change it up a little bit. So got a little bit different background, uh, a little bit different room for a new season of podcasting. I have to tell you, you made you just made that nerd comment. Um, I told you, I told my son, uh, who's a thirteen-year-old, about you talking, um, saying you were a pet nerd last on our last episode, and he's like, he he actually watched the episode, and he's like, that's what I want to be when I grow up. I want to be a pet nerd. <laughs> How cute is that? You're the, currently the idol of a thirteen-year-old. I've got a spare bedroom if he wants. To call, <laughs> you know, if I mean, I got to warn you that the winters in upstate Michigan are a little bit different than what you got there in SoCal. But oh my God, was he thirteen-year-old Southern California boy would never be able to handle a, a Michigan winter. But uh, it's hard to get their respect, so I thought you should know. Well, thank you. <laughs> so, Carlos, um, if you've listened to the show, you know what we're what we're going to ask. How'd you get into tech? Oh, man, that's a tough question, but at the same time, very funny story. So pretty much I was into other things. I was going to start doing history, and I liked a lot uh, about you know uh, reading and poetry, and I never expected to finish in high tech, by the way. But at some point, it was weird that my mom and my dad were like, well, unless you get a scholarship, you're not going to college. So I was like, wow, well, I think I really need to, to see where I can fit. And then I saw this scholarship opportunity that either I was going to play soccer and get a scholarship on a sports basis, or I was going to get it in this specific major that was computer science. So I was like, well, I'd better start seeing what the, the heck that means, because otherwise I'm not going to go to college at all. And yeah, basically, they would give one scholarship to one person on each major. And in this case, the computer science was assigned to me. And that's how I started this. <laughs> wow. That's the yeah. first time we've had that story, I can tell you for I sure. I know, I know, I know. But I, by the way, I didn't like my, my major. The only thing I liked about my major was networking because we have networking academy training back then. So that's how I got into Cisco. And up to today, I think I don't enjoy that much programming as much as I enjoy other things. Oh. It was part of my major. I still know it, still do it. But it's funny how I ended up in the networking side of, of, of the house, right? But, Dude, you're killing me. <laughs> you, you don't like the programming. Jeez. It, it, so you, you came into it out of desperation, it sounds like. Yeah. So it seems I had to be pulled back into my, my college world. And the funny part is when I used to study, I would do, you know, like all the, the algorithms and all the workflows. Yeah. But I would not like to, you know, like learn a co like a language per se. And back then it was C or C sharp or Java. I didn't like the way 
that my ideas were executed. I didn't want to learn a specific method or learn a specific way of doing things. I only like to write the algorithm. And that's why I didn't turn into a programmer. Again, I enjoyed some part of it, not the execution, but still have to be back there, it seems, right? Well, you landed at the right place if you like networking, that's for sure, right? right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, hell yeah. So as somebody who's, if you're a data center switching technical lead, how do you <clears throat> wind up with your hands in all these cloud buckets? Because it, it looks like you have a lot of expertise in cloud and surrounding cloud technologies. <laughs> yeah, so actually it's it's a fun, well, it's a, it's a good question because we at Cisco started, as you guys know, as a routing and switching company, right? That's in our ADN, uh, or I mean D DNA. So if we, if we go on that front, everything was on-premise before, but as you guys are very familiar with, people are starting to move to the cloud, which, by the way, also has networking embedded. So one of the greatest things I think we have done as a company as we move towards this, this evolution of a software-based one is to provide a single pane of glass for all things networking. It doesn't matter if it's virtual, if it's physical, if it's on-prem, or if it's cloud-based. We want to make sure that our network keeps us a single entity, or at least as a consistent point of uh, policy and management. And that's one thing that I really started enjoying when ACI was announced to be covering this strategy that we call ACI Anywhere. That is basically, it doesn't matter where your network lives or how it lives, like if it's a container or one hypervisor or if it goes all the way to Amazon, we're going to make it consistent and monitored and managed from a single pane of glass, which in this case was ACI. So uh, that's where I started realizing, hey, this is great because now we can create overlays all the way to the to the cloud, and we can still extend what before was not possible, right? Before, we would need to hire these really expensive services from our service providers and have dark fibers or all this type of technologies that used to be very expensive, like Ethernet over MPLS. And now I can extend as if I had a physical wire all the way to my cloud and make it transparent with cool technologies like ACI. So I think multi-cloud, in my case at least, is not a matter of a technology, it's just a matter of of a, of a horizontal approach of everything we do, computing, networking, uh, storage, it all needs to live anywhere, but we'll need to manage it consistently through a single pane of glass. And I think on the networking side, that's what really motivates me, that we're thriving uh, in that world that, that enables multi-cloud. Yeah, I think we're doing a lot of neat stuff there. And I think that, you know, obviously data centers going to be tightly aligned with cloud because on-prem cloud has become so important, right? Um, mm -hmm. Originally, everybody was really excited just about accessing the public cloud, and they still are. There's no doubt that excitement is growing. <laughs> but mm -hmm. I think on-prem is becoming a bigger and bigger part of that, right? And then it, it's hopefully becoming more and more seamless. And mm -hmm. I think yeah. we're and it's a transition, right? As, as probably I was commenting in one of the blogs I wrote, this is just a transition. Just as we had this utility model back then when we moved away from the water wells and the electricity systems that were in the backyard of our houses, and then we moved that into the, comp the electricity company or the, water, the, the water company. So we're doing this transition so that we pay by the meter, by our usage. And through that transition, we have a point in between, which in our case, going back to technology, this is the hybrid IT or the hybrid cloud. So there's lots of loads moving to the public cloud, don't get me wrong. And I think that as long as we provide value on simplicity, agility, security, and scalability on demand, whether that's on-prem or off-prem, we're going to be able to cover both fronts from, a, in this case, from a management or, or single pane of glass perspective. But 
That was a really cool analogy. I've never heard anyone use the moving to the utilities, like, like uh, literally like a water well to uh, getting your water from a utility. Um, but you reminded me, we had a guest on, our last guest kind of said, well, I think private cloud in America is, is kind of dead. I don't know if yeah. that's the exact term he used, but he said, people here aren't frightened about security in the cloud anymore. They're not frightened about a lot of the things that were keeping them from going to public cloud. Do you agree with that? They were saying that public cloud you know, is really going to dominate in America, but other parts of the world, private cloud's still a big thing. I, I totally agree with that. I mean, there's this, you know, the Cisco Cloud Index, right? In Cisco Cloud Index, we are reporting that by 2021, more than 90% of the workloads will be public cloud-based. So if we consider that, that's a, that's a large number, right? And yeah. I used to cover Latin America before joining in this role, and that's a totally different story, by the way. So we have 78% of our customers living in a hybrid cloud approach, and out of that 78%, uh, we are still seeing that by, that by 2021, only 3.3% of the hyperscale data centers in the world will be assigned to Latin America. So if you consider that geography in particular, we can, we can figure out why they don't want to move to the public cloud. One, bandwidth restrictions. Two, security and governance, right? There's some compliance about data locality, and maybe they will have uh, different high availability things or, or, or um, standards that they want to comply with. For example, there was a company I won't mention, but an airline in, in Latin America that they got an outage for four hours because uh, one of the cloud providers didn't work uh, or didn't meet the, the high availability expectations. So again, there's lots of perceptions out there that still, specifically, as I said, security, high availability, data locality and compliance, and silos, by the way, once you go one cloud, you cannot move your data to the other one very easily that prevent people for going for, from go, for going there, right? So in the US, I think it's a it's a different approach. There are more hyperscale data centers. It's easier to get one region on, but that still, since we're getting charged by the meter, it's just like a taxi, right? At least today, the pricing points of the public cloud is not very low yet. So although they charge us, I don't know, uh, let's say 10 cents a minute, once you start adding up to the combo, when you say, hey, I want high availability, I want firewall, I want this low bouncer, and you start adding this to the combo, and you realize that you have to pay 24 hours, 365 days uh, every year, then that bill becomes very expensive. So that's why I, th I still think that in the US or in other markets like EMEA or even Asia Pack, having this hybrid cloud approach allows you, if somebody allows you to, to go back and forth between clouds and say, hey, if I need this production grade 365 days uh, a year up and running, well, I guess it's just like buying my own car. I have it there. I can use it anytime. That's fine. If I want it probably for a high-risk project or a, you know, like a transformational project that I want to start incursioning in, then probably I want to get some resources out of the cloud because I really don't know how much resources I will need. So it's just like renting a car. Right. If you yeah. go to the beach, you don't buy a car there. You're just going to need a transportation for a week or so. So I think that's mainly the approach I have today with hybrid clouds. If you want a car or you need to own a car because you don't want to be charged by the day and probably have somebody else's risks, you don't know if somebody got the right maintenance for the car, they changed the oil, all that, then have your own car, have your own private cloud. But if you have something that you're not certain where you're going to go and you cannot afford to buy a full car for that, then you can go public and that's totally fine, right?
So that sounds like big data to me. If you, your big data apps, those should still be on-prem? You, you mean the big well, data where apps? Where you're, yeah, well, we're storing <laughs> large amounts of data. Yeah. Uh, well, that's a tough one, you know. It really depends what type of data you're you're storing. If it's, you know, like uh, uh, social media analytics and all that, well, probably people doesn't care or don't care if that's a story in the public cloud. But if it's something like a blockchain process or something that has compliance information or something that is critical, and I'm starting to aggregate multiple points or processes, that's probably something I want to keep under my hood. So right. it really depends on the type of big data that you were talking about. But I think, again, there's a mixture and a use case for everything. All right. I think it's cost that was making me ask that question. Like, is it just uh, going to cost too much? Because you were talking about, that's still pretty expensive. I think it costs way less to do private cloud when you're talking about large amounts of information to get stored. We have a server, by the way, the UCSS3260, that we're selling as a utility in some countries. So you can just get a full appliance, for example, with 600 terabytes of storage and just start paying by the meter, just like you would do in the public cloud. But in this case, you have your own on-prem appliance and you just pay for the usage. And that's the type of, of uh, how would you say, of uh, utility-based cost modeling consumption. I don't know how to call it. And we're trying to transform that in Cisco so that the same experience you get in the cloud, you get on-prem as well for exactly use cases like the ones you're, you're mentioning right now, right? So I think- OPEX, right? You can change that CapEx to OPEX. But still with your own premise, on your own premise, with your own infrastructure and with your own rules, right? So yes, that's right. We're trying to see how we can consume on-prem better in a cloud-like experience. And I think that's what people is, is leveraging in this transition uh, when, when the provider offers that, right? Or supplier offers that. So Pete, you want to step into your questions? Yeah, so let me let me let me give you a little bit of props here. I think the blog article that you're talking about is uh, is on the Cisco Cloud blog. It's entitled "Digitization and the Inevitability of the IT Evolution." Right. Where yeah. You bring up Thank this you. well example, and at the bottom, there's a really nice video. Although it, it says it says uh, Cisco Data Center in ten minutes, it's actually twelve minutes long. Just to, yeah, I know. You, I ran it down, but. It, it didn't sound right 12 minutes. That's why I said, eh, let's give it in 10. <laughs> but what I love about the video is that it explains basically the entire Cisco infrastructure and data center cloud strategy all in one video with a really nifty diagram that you draw as well. And it really, it's rooted in what, what I always think of as the holy trinity of infrastructure, right? It's, it's network compute and storage. And you kind of build this very nice story from those three components and talk about you know things at a hardware level, at a, at an orchestration level, at at varying levels um, in the stack. Do you find that there's a low hanging fruit in that story that people kind of immediately get and like, yeah, that's what I need out of out of that entire portfolio? Because to adopt the entire portfolio at once is something that people typically don't do. But like, what's the <laughs> what do you think is the, is the quick you know that low-hanging fruit out of that entire experience that you go through in that video oh man that's a that's tough a question tough. i wish i had the answer but one of the every time i show that session i always try to see people's faces and see what they react better or worse right so i would say there's a few that stand out for example cwom right cwom right. is our workload optimization manager solution which based on analytics tells you hey you're using this amount of infrastructure 
you're wasting all this, which you could repatriate into other applications instead of buying more and more infrastructure. And I think that's one of the things that really gets their eye, right? Once they see, hey, I have, let's say, 100 gigs and I have 200 cores or, I don't know, this amount of resources, I'm, and I'm only using 20%. Why should I be buying more and more infrastructure if I can not only tell you how you can optimize that load, but also right. automate you and right-size you regardless of your location or hardware? Because, again, this is hardware and cloud agnostic, especially if we move to the cloud. That's very important because today you're running probably on-prem and you're undergoing that transition to the public cloud. So if you tell it, hey, this is what I have, and, and you pull through this tool called CWOM, you pull the inventory of whatever you have and say, hey, CWOM, tell me how it would look like in Amazon or in Azure. So instead of you going in, I have seen customers doing this on a spreadsheet, by the way, in Excel, right? Sure. Going and saying, I have this machine with this CPU, this memory, this disk. And then they pull out the full inventory and just trust that they are using the full infrastructure and purchase that exact same thing on the public cloud, CWOM just tells you, hey, you're just needing this. And instead of you paying X amount of dollars because that's what you thought you had to purchase at Amazon or, or Azure, uh, well, I'm going to tell you exactly how much you need, what's the best site or location or zone, availability zone that you would need to place this in, and then I'm going to save you all this amount of dollars. And this is obviously an ongoing optimization process. So I think really this really has caught some people's attention, especially because we're undergoing that multi-cloud transition, and people want to know where it makes more sense for them to, to run their loads. Um, of course, there's many others, right? But this one re really came up to me. Sure. No, see, Juan, that, that's a good answer to that, because like you said, it, it, it gives people like a dollar value, or you can save X percent, or it, it really puts uh, easy to understand metric around the benefit that you get from using the tool set. So let me let me flip that around on you now. So out of all the stuff that's in the portfolio, what is it you think people struggle to see the value with that maybe we could be doing a better job of either uh, having CWOM like metrics that make it more obvious or that people are struggling with that for a different reason? I think security. So in security, the funny part is that people take security for granted, right? Sure. And Although everyone talks about security and it's a big budget generator and all that, it doesn't generate any, any money for customers to invest on unless something bad happens. So um, when we talk about titration, for example, right? Titration Analytics is our zero trust analytic platform so that we can identify how your applications talk to each other, regardless if they're running on the cloud or not. So I don't know if you know this, probably Ali knows the answer, or you know the answer, Pete, I'm sure you do. But every time I ask my customers, do you know how many ports, how many doors each of your server have? Uh, well, they have 65,535. So you are just leaving all that open and then closing door by door uh, after what you heard was malicious. For example, ransomware. Right. I heard WannaCry word on this port. Oh, go ahead and shut that down. Perfect. You still have 6,500, 534 ports left. So instead of doing the opposite way of saying, this is what my applications really need. These three or four ports close the rest. Imagine how much surface or potential attack surface we would be closing just by allowing the ports that my applications really need, regardless of their location or hardware they're running on top of. So that's what zero trust means. And titration is usually identifying everything we have in terms of all applications and the way they communicate so that they can either just tell you or automate that process and define or execute a zero trust policy. So going back to the original question, 
every time we show them this, this is great, right? They go like, well, I really don't know how my application stopped today. It would be definitely great to understand this. However, there's never budget for it until we have an attack. And then, hey, now let's fix the problem, right? right. So I think it really depends. But that's usually the, the point where we're seeing the harder time. Because although everyone has, everyone has security in their minds, it's usually hard for them to find the right budget and, and charge the right uh, area for it. So I think that's usually a, an important part. Although micro-segmentation is a big word out there, and it needs to happen everywhere, right? Cloud, on-prem, et cetera. But I don't know if I answered your question, Pete. No, you did. And as long as we're, we've already covered uh, electricity and uh, well and taxi to car ownership, analogies. My, my favorite analogy for security is the insurance industry, yep. right? What, what would this cost you if the worst thing possible happened? Exactly. Right. And then, okay. So security is your insurance policy against that worst case happening. And is it worth, you know, it, then you translate that into X dollars per year, or depending upon if you're using something like Stealthwatch cloud, which has a, 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 a different billing model, in officer security uh, along a slightly different axis. That's that's how I've seen that conversation start to become successful is to use that insurance analogy. Have you seen one similar to that or you like that one? No, totally. Yeah. Ali, I don't know what your thoughts on that. No, it makes sense. It, uh, I love it. I, I appreciate how you're explaining these things and, and kind of what you're seeing out there. By the way, since you touched StealthWatch Cloud, it's very complementary to titration, for example, right? Mm -hmm. So we're seeing all kinds of portfolio. I remember once we were talking with Keith Compton, and we were seeing that all, as I said, multi-cloud is a very horizontal approach, right? It's touching every and each of the technologies we, we do at Cisco, which is quite interesting. I mean, we have, uh, we're just embracing the multi-cloud, not as a technology, but just as something we need to do for anything we do out there. So now that you top touched upon StellWatch, we pretty much do a StellWatch cloud and then integration with titration with different objectives, by the way. One with a sensor that can perform even enforcement on top of any VM or any colocation, and a StellWatch that can leverage some of the APIs from Amazon and get all this log collection and tell you if there's an anomaly or not. But they are both very complementary, and they, they, they can live on any location or on any hardware. So I think that's part of the transformation I was talking at the very beginning. That I think really, I think really motivates me, starting for the data center switching, which may be the very baseline, but extending all the way up to the analytics. Very good. What 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 do you think is the next frontier here? I mean, one of the things that I've always enjoyed about the tech industry and why I've been doing it so long is that there's always something new to learn. There's always some new frontier out there to tackle. We've got a pretty comprehensive, as we've discussed here data center and and cloud portfolio but what do you what do you think is the next wave of things that people are going to be concerned with or going to need help with well right now i think actually if we talk today what drives more of of our investment as as it is automation ways to do things easier right so i think this is one thing that we're focusing today but next that automation by the way is performed by us right so it's usually somebody that goes in there and either uses Ansible or uses any of our cloud center or cloud tools and then starts doing these repetitive tasks so that I can do the single click experience, which is pretty much what everyone wants. But I think the next step in that evolution is how can we leverage now the machine providing that automation experience? So understanding what is constantly being done repetitively 
and then from that create your own automation. So, for example, and you guys probably have heard of so have heard of this, but have you guys heard of Connected Tech, for example, the Technical Assistance Center from Cisco? Yeah. I have not. I don't know that one. So this is actually quite cool. And today, what's the process for you to, for example, open up a case attack? So you, your network breaks or your server breaks or whatever breaks, and then you have to call TAC. And then you tell them this is priority one, priority two, and then they start digging at, uh, or, or checking your configuration. So instead of doing all that, now what we're doing is don't get a real person trying to figure out what happened. Just have them talking with the rest of your machines, in this case, your routers, your switches, your servers, whatever that infrastructure may be. And then through our analytics platform, make some types of decisions so that you can first diagnose that, that, that problem and then even fix it if, and that's part of the next evolution or the next steps automatically for you. So in our case, we are reassigning the way that our CSEs or customer support experience, uh, engineers work towards probably more complex cases or more uh, high touch cases. And we're enabling a better or a faster time to response and a better customer experience because sometimes people don't even realize that they had an issue and it's already fixed. Sure. So I think that's the next step, how we're gonna leverage artificial intelligence or machine learning or all this type of deep learning technologies into things that would enable us to provide better customer experience or better uh, differentiation through technology. And that's pretty much what anyone wants out of technology, right? And sure. we're living today in a world, this is something that I wanted to close with. Every time I talk to my customers here, for example, and you guys just saw that, that I'm literally behind a data center. So every time I bring them, I tell them, well, today is probably one of these times that we're so dependent on these things, right? This is our 24 seven, whether that's for downloading a new app, and we can also delete that with just a single click, right? And that is changing the way our customers are doing business. That's what we have so many times called digitization, right? So if I can turn on, on my data center, the lights and change the color with a single app, then that's the reason why I am investing $50 on a light bulb with, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a, some branding here, the Philips Hue compared right. to a regular light bulb, right? So the commodity or the utility in this case is light. And I can buy that light bulb for what, like a dollar, two dollars, probably if it's a common one. But this Philips Hue light bulb costs fifty dollars. They are ma making forty-eight extra dollars because they are giving me the pleasure of playing with my cell phone and putting <laughs> the color I want. So technology is disrupting or changing the way these guys do business, and it's driven by customer experience. So every customer out there we have, or every company out there that is looking to differentiate themselves in any market is definitely leveraging technology more than ever today, I think. Yeah, when it's trickled down to light bulbs, oh <laughs> you know, it's made it pretty far. Okay, that is a good closing thought, but I have a question I've been sitting on that I still wanna ask you. Uh, as, the, as the data center switching technical lead, is Cisco innovating? You know, I know it, traditionally, I think networking has always innovated around how do we move data faster? How do we move more packets? You know. Mm -hmm. um, are we spend, are we focused more on kind of the automation and the software layer of innovation now with our with our networking products, or is it still just is it still about moving data faster? Hopefully, it's not Ali. It's not the latter. So it's the first one you said. So we are as a company, we are seeing commodity and then value, right? Yeah. And we cannot be selling commodity anymore. If you see what things have been commoditized lately in the market. One of them is networking. 
The other one is compute. The other one is the storage. And then the last one, I think, is now commoditized as well, is the virtualization layer, the hypervisor. So those four, at least to me, are something that by itself or by themselves don't provide any value. If we compare ourselves with other vendors out there, we may be the premium brand in case of networking, right? We are usually not, not cheap at all, right? So we need to justify why we're not cheap. So the only way we can justify that premium is through value. And the value, as I said in the beginning, is one, how do we make things simpler? Instead of going switch by switch, port by port, device by device, and if something breaks, go to troubleshoot in each and every one of those. And maybe if it's on the cloud or if it's on-prem, you have to go to each and every one of these tools to manage every device individually. So instead of doing that, what we thought was good was, why don't you just separate the control plane, have a single management tool, and you just choose whatever device you want to execute your network on, whether that's physical, virtual, bare metal, or cloud-based. So think about the phone, the cell phone again, right? This is something we did with, with the servers, by the way, at some point. So before, do you guys remember the cell phones that were huge, that literally would go all the way to, my, to, the, to the top of my head and then end over here? They, they would show up in this series called Saved by the Bell. If you remember that, probably I'm too old. But uh, <laughs> No, then, I owned one of those. <laughs> oh, you, you had one of those? Oh, but then you were probably very cool and got the StarTac, right? You know yes. the one that yes. called it? So what would happen if you would lose one of those phones? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. It was kind of a big deal. It was a big deal, right? You would need yeah. to get all your contact information back. You will need to right. tell every person, hey, this is my new phone or oh, phone yeah. number. And it was not cool, right? But today, <laughs> if you tell this to, to one of, of the younger generations, they will say, like, what? How did you manage to live without the SIM card that you would just insert it on top of an iPhone? And then if you started to figure out that it was running out of battery very soon, you would change to a uh what's another brand of samsung and then probably somebody told that explodes in the plane so you need to change that into a nokia but the number is still the same and you're probably even your contact information is still the same so that's exactly what we did first with servers and now we're doing with the network if you can figure out a way of centrally manage every type of network it doesn't matter if it's physical or one port that has 10 gig or 40 gig or 100 gig, it doesn't matter the capabilities it provides, the end device, I mean. As long as you have everything managed centrally, you're aggregating all these resources. All things networking are aggregated through a single pane of glass called ACI in our case. So if your network, again, exists, which will, will exist on the cloud, on bare metal, on virtual brand, one brand like VMware or Hyper-V or OpenStack or containers, it really doesn't matter. It is a network. It's a utility. So you are still presenting and managing it as a single entity consistently, right? If you grow through time, if you add more switches or add more devices, doesn't matter what flavor it is, you just auto-discover them and through automation, auto-provision them. I think that's the first thing we're trying to do. Be simple. If you can help your customers troubleshoot and recover your infrastructure simpler, that's a huge value for them. The second one, agility, the more you grow, the auto, if you if you provision those devices automatic, automatically, it's better for them. So if you think today on the large boxes we used to sell, again, going back in time, I have a few white hair. I don't know. Well, I don't have much hair, but I, I, can, I can see you on the screen that I still show a little bit of white hair. So back in time, there were these huge boxes. I don't know if you remember the super domes or even the mainframes, yeah. which sure. are somehow there. 
So I would say that is not in, that is not cool anymore. Why? Because we're, we're now focusing on the on-demand, right? On, the, on how my business grows is how I will acquire technology and invest. So especially for startups, right? So if I tell you that you need to buy this large box, regardless you need today or not, then that's probably a bigger investment than what I actually need. So through automation and the agility uh, topic I was talking about, if you start with a single switch, for example, and then you scale through time, as we said, regardless of the location or the form factor, then you can start adding more resources, but the complexity of the management is still a single point, right? Which is the control, uh, the control point, which is the apex, right? So I think that's the another one, the another one, right? Agility to provision more and more resources, but still the same configuration you want to provision all the way pushed to the to the end. And then security. If you consider security, as we said, if you have a single policy, that policy gets pushed consistently anywhere. And you don't need to be repeating the same configurations over and over again. And of course, the capability of scaling on demand. So I think that's where, what defines us. If you see, I'm not talking anymore about how many ports do you need? Do I provide 100 gig or 400 gig and this amount of million of packets? Because we're now focusing on bringing value at how agile am I or how am I going to align to your business and how am I growing automatically with whatever your business demands? I think that's the difference in the speech we used to have probably five to 10 years before compared to now. Cool, thank you, that was a great answer. I appreciate you indulging that question as I'm not really interacting with um, you know, the guys who create our, our, our hardware very often. I'm mostly hanging out with the software teams and services, so um, I appreciate you explaining that. By the way, Ali, okay. I wanted to tell you that, because I don't want you to get the wrong message, by the way, it doesn't mean that hardware is not important, right? Although we are defining everything to software, if you still buy your iPhone and you still buy your Samsung, you're still not buying probably that $10 cell phone that exists out there because in the end, the hardware matters. If whatever you define in software cannot get executed right on hardware, then it's really not very effective. So I think our strategy is to mix the best of both worlds. Just You still have to manage to move a lot of packets from one point to the other one, but that's not probably the focus, although we're still doing it. Cool, cool. Thank you for the clarification. Pete, any more questions before we wrap up? We are running out of time. No, I just have the Saved by the Bell theme song stuck in my head now. So thank you for that, Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> I know, man. I, I, as you guys have seen, I talk a lot. So it's at some point, whenever you want to stop me, please do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm cutting you off, man. Um, I appreciate everything you've shared with us today, though. It's been really helpful. Um, I'm sure our audience appreciates the insight into kind of someone from the data center point of view on uh, what's going on with cloud and, and what Cisco specifically is doing. So, so thank you for sharing. I appreciate it. Um, I, I think I'm under the impression that you speak at conferences a lot. Is there anyone, is there, uh, anyone you'll be at in the near future where you'll be on stage and people can look for you? Yeah, so well, Cisco Lives, pretty much that's one of the most important ones. So we have Cisco Live coming up in Cancun and then we will have Cisco Live in Melbourne as well as in uh, Barcelona, that's probably next year. So yeah, I mean, any of those events I, I usually attend to, and uh, there's other events for that we do for our partners in Amsterdam or or other as external and internal events. But mainly, if you if you go there, or also all the demos I do, they are on YouTube and Sales Connect. So uh, for for our internal audience, by the way, the external can consume it in YouTube, and there's lots of explanations just like this that can be consumed in 10 minutes or 12, by the way, Pete. Uh, 
that people can look after them. Uh, it's called Cisco Data Center Made Easy, the, the, the YouTube channel, in case you want OK, to great. I'll put a link to it in the show notes so, sure. so that people can check that out. Well, thank you very much. I wish both you guys a terrific afternoon. And I hope to talk to you again soon, Carlos. Thank you. Hopefully, you will. Hope you invite me. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye, everybody.